I think the formula is that there are certain there are certain types of things that you need to do. There are certain categories that you need to check in order to be an effective recognized expert. And so this is kind of what I call my my recognized expert formula. It's three pieces. It's content creation, social proof, and network. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, it's RJ Singh here. Thank you for joining us on another week's episode. And boy, do we have a cracking, cracking interview for you today. Today we are joined by Dory Clark. For those of you that know Dory, don't really need an introduction. For those of you that don't, I would say Dory is the preeminent voice on becoming a thought leader or how to become a thought leader within your chosen niche or reinvention. How do you pivot from one space to another? Dory's work is phenomenal. She's written a couple books that I have read. She's written more, but she's written The Long Game. She's written reinventing you and she has been featured on every business publication that i know harvard business review forbes fast and several others no doubt today's conversation is all about how can we as executives or people in a craft move from being one of many to becoming a thought leader Dory has a process for this, and this process was spearheaded really through her own trials and tribulations. She was her own guinea pig in terms of trying to cut through and break free from all the noise. And she's been successful in doing it for herself, but more importantly, she's been able to help hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. She's got a community called the recognized expert community. These are all people at the top of their craft that are either thought leaders or on their way to becoming thought leaders within their chosen niche. And the community is really supportive, all super, super high caliber people and that are always willing to help each other. And it's a global community. I came across Dory's work some time ago on the HBR. I really loved the way she wrote, that she kept it really real and really focused on just practical get shit done. You know, I like the fact that she's not about hacks. You know, she doesn't hide the fact that really to cut through the noise and to become a thought leader, you are going to have to double, triple, quadruple down on your effort and you are going to outlast. You're going to have to outlast the competition. You're going to also have to know how to work smarter, how to navigate the noise, how to make the right connections, and she has a process for it. Highly recommend her stuff. Get one of her books. Google Dory Clark. I'll have all the information in the show notes. But for anybody that's interested in becoming a thought leader within their craft or pivoting, you know, maybe you've built your whole career has been focused to date on something that you're no longer passionate about and you feel trapped and you know what or you may not even know what else you want to do, highly, highly recommend this conversation with Dory. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in her capable hands. If you haven't already, go to www.ultrahabits.co. Find out all the cool shit that we're doing is there. 
If you haven't already, please rate this podcast. It'll be in the link in the show. By rating the podcast, it helps us stay alive and thrive and scale the message. Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. Peace. Dory, welcome to Ultra Habits. We are connecting from around the world. Super, super excited to have you on the show. Hey, RJ. I'm really glad to be here with you. Yeah, it's kind of weird talking to you one-on-one because generally I'm like watching you on a webinar or, you know, like it's kind of like I'm in a group forum. It's like you're a hologram and now you're like this real person because we're having this conversation. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I'm a fan and, uh, you know, I, I originally came across your work through the, the Harvard Business Review and what really intrigued me was this concept of a recognized expert, right? So like we're all in a world that has a lot of noise. There are a lot of experts. There's a lot of people yelling things and, you know, your articles really started to help me understand a pathway out of the madness, so to speak, <laughs> into some level of cohesion. But for for our audience that don't know, like, what is a recognized expert? What would you classify that as? Yeah, so basically, I mean, you know, as, as you and I know, there are lots of people in the world who have expertise. They're smart, they're good at what they do. That's fantastic. And if you are lucky enough to know them directly, or maybe you get a referral, you can find somebody who's who's really good at their thing. I mean, a- almost all of us, you know, I know as a consumer, if I can find someone who's really talented, really amazing, I mean, of course I want to work with that person. But there's a little bit of a, a sourcing problem or a matching problem because, number one, as a consumer, I often don't know how to find them. I mean, in fact, I'm looking for a painter right now in, you know, in Miami. Like if I could, if if I could legitimately find the best painter, I would pay for the best painter. And mostly, I'm just finding a lot of kind of randos, right? Um, so that's that's one side of the problem. The other side of the problem is that you may be that expert, but you know, in a lot of cases, nobody has ever told you how to market yourself, how to do business development. You are good at the thing you're good at, but actually being able to reach people, being able to build the kind of business you want, being able to have the kind of impact you want. That is hard because that is a completely different problem than figuring out in the first place how to get good at your niche, whether that is being a lawyer or being a dog breeder or being a consultant or a coach. And so ultimately, the part that's missing is typically is the recognized part. How do you take someone who legitimately is talented and has something to offer? You know, we're not talking about some fake Potemkin village thing. We're talking about somebody who actually really does have something to offer. How can we get them so that they understand what steps to take so that they can become better known and build the kind of business they want to build, reach more people, and be able to to help more people? That's the problem I'm interested in solving. Very well said. Uh, Dory, do you feel that the way uh, we perceived experts has changed? from let's say 50 years ago, like has the process, do you think in terms of how people are perceived as experts, is that the same or different, do you think? Yeah, I think I think there's certainly uh, some commonalities and common strands from 50 years ago, but what I do think is powerful and helpful, I mean, it's, it's, both, it's both a good thing and the nature of the problem, 
is that 50 years ago, there were not opportunities typically for people to be able to show themselves to be experts at scale. You were an expert 50 years ago if you were a professor at a famous university. Maybe you had published a book with a New York publisher. Um, maybe you were quoted or featured in a magazine, something like that. Those things still count today. Those things uh, are, are still respected signs. But what we do have the ability to do today is have more control uh, and, and break through the gatekeepers. So if you are someone who has an unpopular message, if you are someone who has a non-traditional background, you might have been blackballed 50 years ago because, you know, oh, sorry, you don't have a PhD or whatever it is. Now you can self-publish. Now you could start your own blog. You could start your own podcast. And is it easy to break through and be heard by lots of people? No, it's not easy. But you have the option. Whereas before, there was literally just not a vehicle to be able to reach people. The internet has changed that and has opened it up. And so it's a slog, and it means for consumers that there's a lot of noise to get through. You know, it's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. But there's more opportunity for people that are willing to work for it. Yeah. Like, if we look at someone like Tony Robbins, right? Like, back in the day, he's he would have had to put in a lot of work to scale his message, right? Because there was no internet. Like, everything would have had to been physical travel. Like, in many ways, people in that era that were able to build a recognized expert status, like, it wasn't... It, it, in many ways, it'd be much harder, right? Because it wasn't as scalable. But I guess what you're also saying is that there's probably more noise out there today too, right? So, like... There's a lot more noise out there. Tony Robbins, for I mean, for sure, he he put in a lot of time and effort um, traveling and, ho and doing workshops and things like that. He, one of the early drivers for his success, though, was television. It may even have been paid placement. I'm not 100% sure, but he had these like half-hour programs that would air on television. So he was able to reach people at scale. But, I mean, that's a really costly intervention. I mean, you know, being on television having crews, having people record you, creating, you know, these kind of elaborate things to be seen by millions of people, that, you know, I mean, that, that gives you tons of exposure and credibility, but my God, is it expensive. And so it's, it, it means you either have to have some kind of really rich backer or you need to have some kind of clever strategy for it. You, mean to, you need to already have some kind of momentum. Um, whereas today... Somebody could start with basically no money. I mean, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't take any money to start a blog or it takes very, very little money to start a podcast. Hmm. How did you uncover this problem? Dory, like, walk us into how you, because I know this story, but I mean, for the audience, like, you were never a guru, right? Like, you're kind of a practitioner, but I think it's great to kind of unfold the story of how did you actually find this problem, you know, out there that existed? Yeah, thanks, thanks, RJ. Well, I mean, you, I mean, I found it because I just like walked straight into it. That's how I found it. <laughs> yeah. I think anybody who is self-employed and has tried to get a business going realizes pretty fast, and you know, to great horror, oh no, there's a lot of people doing what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's kind of alarming. And somehow, really fast, if you want your business to be successful, you need to find a way to differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And so I became kind of obsessed with that question because I, I really, you know, wanted my business to succeed. 
And so I became a student of the steps that it would take for me to market and position myself uh, effectively. And I began really leaning into that, applying those strategies. And it was helpful because I was able to take what I was learning and use it in my consulting work for other organizations. Eventually, a number of years later, people started coming to me and saying, hey, you know, what, what is it you're doing? What is it that, that you did here? And I started writing and advising them as well. Mm. So effectively, it became a bit of a formula, right, in terms of uh, the, the pathway. And I mean, how much of it is formulaic versus kind of luck and just quantity and activity? Like, or you know, is it, is it if you follow X, Y, Z and you just stick at it over time, focusing on the long game, you'll get there? And, or does it have a lot to do with just kind of timing and luck and quantity? What's your view on that? Well, I think I think that it's both in the sense that we're, there's almost two different levels of the conversation. I think the formula is that there are certain there are certain types of things that you need to do. There are certain categories that you need to check in order to be an effective recognized expert. And so this is kind of what I call my my recognized expert formula. It's three pieces. It's content creation, social proof, and network. And you really do need all of these things. They can manifest in lots of different ways. But number one, very hard to be a recognized expert if you don't have a good network. You know, if no one knows who you are, if you don't have connections, if you don't have people amplifying you, it just becomes, you know, very tricky for people to find out about you. That probably makes intuitive sense. Number two, pretty hard to become a recognized expert if you do not have social proof, meaning affiliations that demonstrate your credibility. It, again, it doesn't have to be one particular type of thing, but you need to have something. Like if you're a recognized expert, and you've never written a book, you are not affiliated with the university, you don't have, you know, a, a show that you do or followers, if you, you know, don't have an idea or intellectual property that you are associated with, it's like, you know, if you don't have celebrities or people who are well-known in your field, you know, saying, oh yeah, RJ's a good guy, then it's sort of like, well, are you really a recognized expert? Because all the signs are sort of missing, right? So you need to have that. And then the third is content creation. And again, it doesn't really matter if you're a speaker versus if you're a writer versus if you're a podcaster or videos or whatever. There's different ways to share your ideas. But if you want to be recognized for ideas, you have to share them somehow. So I feel like at a very foundational level, these are common categories. This is a common formula to almost anybody in almost any field who strives to be recognized for their expertise. Now, that being said, there's a lot of different manifestations of it. And so they can do it in different ways. And, do, uh, you know, above and beyond it, does timing help? Of course it does. I mean, there are people who have books or ideas that are really right for the moment. And then they just they just go like, you know, would Ibram Kendi and Robin D'Angelo in the United States have been such a big deal if George Floyd had not been killed? No. I mean, these are books that had come out. Some people knew them, you know, people who were into diversity and inclusion were like, yeah, that's cool. But racism became a very big conversation in 2020 because of the George Floyd situation. And so as a result, these books suddenly became massive bestsellers that that would not have happened under normal circumstances. They were, you know, I mean, it's it's such a bad situation. You don't want to call it luck. But in terms of their books, you know, yes, that was luck. 
Yeah, I, I sometimes it's interesting because I, I, I sometimes see, particularly now that I'm on this path, like I, I can sometimes see the opportunistic nature of people positioning their content on the backdrop of kind of geopolitical issues. And and sometimes I it, it feels a bit weird, right? Because sometimes I'm like, uh, but I mean, you also, I guess, have to be strategic too, right? And kind of know which way the wind is blowing and align your, your sails to that, particularly if it's uh, something you value and it's purposeful. In, in terms of the thousands of people that you've worked with, because I know there's literally thousands in our group, there's, there's, there's a few thousand, I think. Uh, are there qualities or are there, are there certain things that inhibit people from actually progressing on this path? Like if you were to say, look, like, you know, what gets in people's way, what would you say are some of the bigger kind of issues or, or things that just kind of inhibit people from moving down this path? Oh, man. I mean, in a lot of cases, I I mean, honestly, in almost all cases, RJ, I feel like what inhibits people is things in their own mind, largely from their childhood. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example. There was a guy that I did coaching with a number of years ago. And, you know, really good guy, really nice guy, smart, good ideas. And we we literally never finished our coaching engagement. Like our coaching engagement had 12 sessions. We paid for all of it. I think he did like 10. And then he just started ghosting me. Like I was the coach. Like, why aren't you ghosting me? You paid me to help. But he started ghosting me because, you know, when I would give him homework assignments, and again, this is not me being like, oh, write your name 400 times. This is like, you know, me suggesting, okay, you want to do X? You know, great. Why don't you try this? You can send it to me. I'll look at it. But, but. And he, he wouldn't do it. He kept like not doing it. And there's always an excuse. You know, I mean, it was kind of like a schoolboy almost. Like, he's like, oh, well, you know, there was like, oh, my air conditioner broke. And, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, okay. I mean, he's paying me. It's not like I'm like a teacher. It's fine. You know, so I'd just be like, all right, well, you know, let's do it next time. But every time there was something, and I I really have to believe that's not, at a certain point, it's not because you're busy. Everybody's busy. It's because there was something he was afraid of. And he he literally just stopped contacting me, this person he had already paid, because he just so didn't want to face it. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it was feeling like, oh, gosh, I'm going to come up with something and then, you know, Dory's going to say it's not good enough or, or whatever. I mean, you know, like like TLDR, by the way, nothing, none of our ideas are good enough at first. That's why we review them. That's why we revise them. But, you know, I, I think for, for whatever reason, that probably would have been it just felt like too much for him. I, I have to. I have to just be guessing that. I don't know, but I mean that for me is kind of an archetypal but extreme example of someone who just they want a thing, but it's almost too difficult or painful for them to reach for that thing. I think you would know this because you're introspective, but like I, I reflect on what you help people do. You're you're effectively trying to help people that have kind of reached the top of their craft transition and walk through that fear and there's a lot in that right like it's a very aspirational 
thing you're trying to do because a lot of the people in the Rex program are at the top of their field, legitimately can and have the right to walk into that, you know, that next realm. But they're knocking on the door of their insecurities and fears, right? And how does that long game mentality play into it, man? Because I think you have to be mentally tough to do what we're all trying to do, what you're, you know, what we're doing in your program. Like, how does how does that relate? Like the long game. Yeah, I think I think you're really right, RJ. Because, I mean, you know, I mean this this makes sense intellectually, but it's very hard for most of us to to face. That of course, if you have a a long term goal that is meaningful, number one, it probably is going to take a while to reach. Number two, it's probably not going to be super easy to reach. Like lots of people would love to reach it, but not everybody does. So you know, so there's, so it it implies that there are going to be challenges, and that this may be a bit of an arduous path. Um, that it's you know, I mean. On one hand, if you actually talk to someone and you're like, so do you think that like literally everything you do will go perfectly and that it'll be completely smooth sailing? They'll be like, no, of course not. I know that. But then in practice, like one editor tells them no for one piece and they're like, I'm just not cut out for this. I just don't think this is the right move. You know, maybe it's not meant for me. And it's like, no, 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 excuse me. You just told me that you knew there were obstacles, right? This would, this is an obstacle right here. So we have to, this is why the community element of recognized expert is so important because you need other people to be able to say, no man, I got that rejected like five times. Like, no, keep submitting it other places. Yes, it's, it's, it's good enough. Yes, keep going. Um, it's, it's really important to see that and to have the community of support so that you don't view yourself somehow as, you know, like, the universe is telling you this negative message. That is, you know, that that's when I knew you were my tribe. Like when you wrote that book and I started reading about the long game, because the world, we're marketed to that we can hack everything. Do these three things and you'll be a, you'll go viral, right? Like, it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and nobody's actually telling people this shit is going to be hard, you know, and it's going to take a long time. People that are on that path, like how do they know that they're moving towards being a recognized expert? Like, are they, are there like signs that, that they're actually kind of progressing? Like what's, what's the feedback there? Yeah. I mean, one of the concepts that I talk about in the long game is what I call looking for the raindrops because I, I really do think of it as like almost almost like a thunderstorm metaphor, because, you know, if what we're looking for, if sort of our definition of success is like the sky's open and like, you know, everything's pouring down, like, oh, it's raining money, it's raining success, it's raining invitations from Tim Ferriss, you know, like, like, OK, clearly when a storm is coming through, you don't go from from like perfectly calm weather to, you know, Pour, you know, like massive downpour and thunder overnight. That is, you know, I mean, well, in weather you might, but like instantly. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like what happens is clouds roll in, right? What happens is the sky suddenly gets darker. What happens is the air pressure changes. What happens is there's a few little drips and it starts to rain just a little tiny bit. You are seeing atmospheric changes. And 
if the only thing you're looking you're looking for, if your only definition of success is being in the thick of the downpour, that that really takes a while, and you are going to miss all of the signs leading up to it. And the truth is, if the if the thunderstorm doesn't happen for a while, you might quit, you might give up, you might just say, "Oh, screw this, I'm going to go inside." Um, you're going to miss it all. What you need to do is train yourself to look for what the equivalents for you are of the of the raindrops. So, I mean, if if for instance you're trying to build a podcast that's successful, um, you know, I mean, success might look like, oh, I'm I'm picked up by this cool network, and now somebody's offering me six figures to do it or whatever. Great, that'll take a while. In the meantime, it's are you starting to get more reviews, and are you actually getting reviews? that are unsolicited and not just because you badgered your friends. That's a sign that you're getting, you know, some progress and some traction. Are you starting to get people coming to you and saying, RJ, can I be on your podcast? Rather than you having to knock, 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 oh, please, will you be on my podcast? Are you starting to get people in your life introducing you as, oh, RJ, he's a podcaster. Like, do they know it? Do they remember it? Is it a memorable enough thing? Those are all the kinds of things that are small and subtle and might be overlooked, but it begins to show you like, oh, this is a thing. This is actually catching on. You know, this is getting some traction. Where did you develop this mental toughness yourself, Dory? Like, where did you, where, where, where did you get the grit from? Like, is this just how you're designed or was this something you developed? You know... I, I wish in some ways that I had a better sort of framework and formula of like, oh, I overcame this and mm-hmm. here's exactly how I do it. The, tr- the truth is I've kind of always been like this personally, but uh, so I don't have a, you know, a great story about, oh, here's the, you know, here's the step, here's the process. But what I like to think that I offer is I think that I can offer to other people who struggle with this a little bit more a sense of what it's like not to because if you can if you can see that that it's possible then you actually can realize like oh wait i mean i did a you know i run a mastermind rj that's one of the things that i do um it's this year-long mastermind program and we had people a few weeks ago here in my house in miami and one of the things that we were having a conversation about was this question like how do you sort of get out of your own head how do you you know, feel okay, like stepping up and embracing all this. And one of the things that I said to them, which afterwards, you know, we were going around at the end of the mastermind and I asked like, what was most impactful for you? And like multiple people said like, this was the thing that they were like, oh yeah, that's going to be kind of rattling around for me. But you know what I, what I said, and I really believe this is like, look, a problem that we have is that so often we tend to compare ourselves to the people who are the best in our field. Oh, I'm not as good of a writer as Daniel Pink is. Oh, I'm not as good of a podcaster as, you know, whatever. Uh, Joe Joe Rogan. Rogan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever. You're holding yourself up. And, you know, I mean, sure, right? I mean, if A, they've probably been doing it longer. But, you know, whatever. You know, first of all, there's 7 billion people. You don't literally have to be the same as or even as good as in order to be successful. But... What I think is the more salient thing that all of us should be aware of is there are a lot of people out there who are successful. They may even, by certain metrics, be more successful than we are. They might have more clients. They might be making more money. 
They might have more listeners or viewers or whatever it is. And you know what? They are not as good. And this is very interesting because if there is someone who you, you know, really feel confident, like, you know, like I could do that. I could do that better than him. Why is he dot, dot, dot? Well, that's actually really useful data because what I take from that, I mean, it's not to begrudge the other person. God bless. Okay, I'm glad you managed. But if I'm better than that and I'm not having that level of success, the question to ask is, why not me? Of course I can do it. I don't have to be the best in the world to qualify for success. If, if that guy can do it, I can clearly do it. And so I think it, for me, it's just a, a focusing mechanism because it shows you, of course it's possible. If it's possible for them, it's possible for you. And so we need to just operate as though that were the case because that's that's what enables us to have the confidence to take the actions that yes of course it can work out because it's worked out for people who are less qualified mm. and it, and and by kind of examining what they've done that we haven't done that actually gives us insights and, and gives us possible solutions right to close the gap yeah absolutely absolutely and yeah i i think I think a lot of it is just kind of a weird perfectionism that people think literally they have to be the best in the world. I mean, I I know I'm good at what I do. Am I the best in the world? I don't know. I don't even know how you'd measure that. But the important thing is for everyone to recognize you are good enough. You are more than good enough. So stop just, you know, dicking around and asking yourself these endless ruminative questions. It's not helpful. Just get going. You know, that's my favorite version of Dory. So there's there's a few versions of Dory I noticed. There's the professional polished Dory, and then there's the Dory that gets animated and lets it fly. That's my favorite version of, of, <laughs> of Dory Clark, for short. Uh, one of the things that is really unusual, and I sent you an email about this, about your program, is how diverse the people are. Like, in many ways, you've got people that I know have major differences of belief systems from like super conservative people to like people that are way way out there uh and so i suppose it goes to show the strength of what you're trying to do right because it's kind of it's of interest to people irrespective of you know race gender creed color whatever and um so in terms of you know someone on the path of, of becoming a, a recognized expert have you been able to witness through your program people going from literally unknown to like, wow, like, you know, it is storming and it's raining and it's everything that you were just talking about. Like, have you been able to witness that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's lots of different metrics that mm. we can that we can look at and point to. But yeah, in lots of different ways, people have been able to take the principles of recognized expert and run with them in, in very powerful ways. I mean, I, I actually did in November, you know, so this is, this is a few months later now as we're recording this, but in November, I actually gave a project to my assistant because I was really curious how many people in the recognized expert community had become Harvard Business Review contributors. Now, you know, this is of course not the be all and end all. There are other great publications. Not everybody, you know, is in the business realm to begin with. So not, you know, it wouldn't be relevant. 
but it but it is one measure out of out of many in terms of a thing that people point to is like yeah i want to do that that for me is a sign of success and so we have in the recognized expert community 55 people who have become harvard business review contributors this is in a community of about 700 people mm. so it's actually pretty remarkable that you know there's, I mean, there's not that many people. I mean, Harvard Business Review publishes like four to five articles per day. That's it. This is not like some publications that have thousands and thousands of contributors. So it's a fairly rarefied universe. And the fact that that many people have, you know, really learned the mechanics that they that they've committed themselves to taking their expertise and funneling it and sharing it in that in that format. Uh, in a very prestigious publication, I think is very is very meaningful to me. And I think for all of them, they feel like, yeah, that's that's like kind of a bucket list goal that's really powerful. So we have that. I mean, we have people, uh, you know, like Diva Purushothaman, who's uh, a member of the community. Her uh, her TED Talk has over a million views, which is really amazing. We have people, you know, who are published in all kinds of different publications, um, you know, just just today, I was looking in the group, and uh, Richard Bistrong, who's a, a great member, got his third piece published in Fast Company, I think, yesterday. So um, there's there's a lot of, you know, Laura Gassner-Odding has been on both uh, the Today Show and multiple times on Good Morning America. So we have a lot of people who are really doing very cool things in different ways. Yeah. And I would I would say one of the most powerful things about your program is the community. Ultimately, I think that that there's there's so much power and strength in that, particularly when you're trying to do something that is hard. There are there there are naysayers. Um, a lot of your people, which is going to lead me to the, uh, another question, are also trying to transition, right? So they're like still working, and they're like trying to shift away from that work into this new space. Do you find that's complicated for people? Like, is is that difficult for people to manage that kind of juxtaposition of trying to like move forward, but then they're kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like what do you, what do you, do you find it's tough? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean transitions are are always tough in some regard, but I actually really respect it because when you know, I I think that a lot of the discourse around starting your own business or making a change somehow in your career, I, I feel like a lot of the discourse is not helpful because oftentimes it's this very all or nothing language we have around it. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, take the leap, take the plunge, like you know, all these very dramatic metaphors that involve like falling, drowning, you know, like, oh, okay, like who wants to do that? Um, so, I, you know, and the, and the truth is, of course, it I mean, this is just a thing. This is just a fact that when you start a new venture, it takes you some time to get it going. It takes you some time to get some clients. It takes you some time, honestly, to even figure out like what is your product market fit. And so I actually think it's much better for people to start whatever their their aspirational goal is as a side project, as a side gig for a while so they can play with it, nurture it get it to product market fit so that they understand, oh, okay, here's what I'm offering. People seem to want it. Here's who I'm going to sell it to. And, oh, they seem to be buying it. If you can figure that out before you quit your job and, you know, stop getting regular income, that's great. That's a huge advantage. I think in my mind about somebody named Cher Downing, who's an early member of the recognized expert community, 
And she joined specifically two years prior to when she was planning to retire. She was a vice provost at a university and, you know, which is a, a great, you know, prestigious position. She'd been in academia for 20 plus years, but she wanted to go out on her own as an educational tech consultant. And so she joined Recognize Expert two years before she wanted to make that change because she's like, you know what? I want to be smart about this. I want to take these two years while I'm still earning a good income and just, you know, like she didn't have a huge amount of time to devote, but she knew she had some. And she's like, if I can make smarter and better informed choices now about what I should be focusing on and what I shouldn't, by the time I do retire, it's going to be in a much better position and kind of ready to achieve liftoff. And that's exactly what happened. She was able to really do a good job getting her business going because she had immersed herself in this community and she had learned all these great things about how to launch a business. What are some of the things that some of the Rexers do do just for our audience? So, you know, you've got an individual that has a job and they're thinking about an idea and they want to test the market. Like what are some of the things people do do to see if there is actually interest out there? Yeah. Well, so the the very first thing, <laughs> which I think is useful, is to see, okay, are people interested in your thing if your thing is free? If they are not interested in your thing when your thing is free, I would say that is generally a bad sign. So test it now. Um, so, so, you know, like, let's pretend that, you know, you are a fashion consultant, okay? So I like you, that. You, yeah, exactly. You're, you're, a, you're a fashionable guy. So not really, not? but let's play with that one. <laughs> really? Fun. So, you know, what you could do is put out put out the word to your friend. You're, you know, you're like, hey, uh, I'm interested in, you know, potentially, you know, you guys always come to me for advice. I'm, I'm thinking of starting a side business doing this. I, you know, uh, want to do closet cleanses for people or something. I'll help them figure out their outfits, whatever. Um, you know, I'm just testing things out. I'm looking for three people. I'm happy to do it for them for free if they are willing, if, you know, assuming they like it, to provide a testimonial and maybe make some referrals to their friends. You know, what do you think? So you put it out to your network of extended friends. You know, hopefully, let's see, you can, you can get a few people to say yes. So you do that. And the first thing you want to see is like, do you enjoy it, right? It might sound better in practice than it does in reality. Um, so are you having fun? Is it enjoyable? That's the first bar. The second bar is, okay, you know, how, how did it go? What can you learn from it? But you sort of, you know, you, you work out the kinks, you figure it out. Maybe you thought it would take you three hours, but it only took you two hours or vice versa. Okay. So you begin to, to think a little bit more about what pricing would look like. But initially, you just need some credibility. So being able to, you know, to have a few people you know, with quotes like, oh, you know, RJ's the best. He really helped, you know, great. Okay. And it gives you case studies that you can talk about. So then you go to them, you go back to your original friends. You say, okay, great. I'm doing this. I've figured out I'm going to do RJ's closet cleanse. I'm going to charge $500. Here's what the package is. And you start floating it and seeing if people will bite for it. And, you know, maybe at first you're doing it once a month, but you want to validate, okay, do people want it? Are they willing to pay? And if they are, you slowly start building it. You can reinvest some of the money. Okay, you get a couple. Maybe you have enough money for a website. So then you get a, you know, kind of quick and dirty website. Now you can start advertising a little more. Maybe more people are finding you. And that enables you to let it go and grow. And what it reminds me of is in my first book, Reinventing You, 
Um, I actually profiled this woman named Patricia Fripp, who basically did this. She was a hairdresser who reinvented herself into being a professional speaker. And she did it over the course of 10 years because she had a 10-year lease on her salon. And her goal over this decade was to basically replace her hairdressing income with her speaking income. And at first, you know, I mean, it took a long time, right? At first, she's making 100 bucks here and 100 bucks there. But eventually, by the time her lease was up, she was able to hand in the keys and never look back because she was more than making up her revenue from the salon with her speaking income, even though it took her a decade to do it. But she got it done, and there was no leaping. There was no plunging. She just sauntered into her new career. That's remarkable. Do you find that most of the Rexers, they're wanting to do something associated with their craft or are there people that oh my god i i'm a tech consultant but i want to sell dog grooming services like do you get a bit of that too like the kind of a whole life mid like midlife crisis thing going on there like or is it typically more step changed you know i would say it's a little bit of a self-selecting crowd in the sense that you know, the sort of the, the marketing and the ethos around recognized expert is, is, you know, we're sort of aimed at people who are already experts. They just want to get better known. Yeah. So often people who really do love what they do, they're sort of wedded to what they do, um, but they just they just want to reach more people with it. Um, but but certainly it's it's true. We do have people who may have expertise in two different things, you know, like, oh, I do. I'm a I'm a psychologist, but I'm also a painter or something like that. And so they're a little torn because they've, yeah. they've got both things. Yeah. Well, look, Dory, we're going to start to land this plane. I really value you and I loved this conversation. One of the things we always do with our guests is kind of talk about habits, right? Like, so let's, and I know that you, you would have uh, a lot of this in your mind around what it takes for someone on the path. So say like I'm new, you know, I've just heard this interview and I'm like, yeah, Dory Clark, she's a shit. I join your program and I decide to get on the recognized expert path. Like what are some of the habits and some of the things that I could do just to sustain me to ensure that I don't bail? Like, you know, that it's something that once I make that decision, I'm, I'm going to stay on the path. That's right. How do you, um, <clears throat> how do you box yourself in? I'm recognized expert. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. It's, you know, as we, as we know, right. Um, yeah. Willpower can fail, but habits will sustain you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely on board with that. I would say there's a few things, RJ. Number one is a really basic thing that doesn't take more than five seconds, but I think it's a good habit for people to start is to start capturing ideas because one of the hardest things when it comes to, you know, being a recognized expert is a, a lot of times, you know, I mean, these these folks, right? You know, anybody who who is an expert in their field or who who knows a decent amount about their field, there's plenty of things they they have to say. There's plenty of ideas they have, but sometimes when you're literally just like staring at the blank page, like, oh God, I have to write a blog. What should I write about? I don't know what I should write about. You know, it just sounds like oppressive, and it, yeah. and so you're sitting there for like six hours, like, what do I write? And it's you know, it's no way to do it. It's terrible. So I'm a big fan of having people capture their ideas when they have them because you probably have really good ideas, but they also flit away. That is the nature of ideas. So I, I, you can do voice memos. I personally use the notepad function of my cell phone 
to just like write down. I, I do this all the time. I'm like article dash, you know, five reasons why people are afraid to ask for what they're worth or whatever. And then I just like, maybe I only know two of them, you know, at the time I'm like, Oh, how about this and this? And, but you know, even having two is so helpful because when it comes time for me to write that article, I already have a start. And when you have something to work with, it just needs to go a lot simpler. So idea capture is number one. And the second one that I would say specifically about the recognized expert community is that one of the things that I really try to encourage, um, and I do this by encouraging people to participate in our monthly webinars that we have. Um, also, when we have when we have a launch, you know, periodically, like sort of once or twice a year, we'll do th we'll do different things like, you know, have uh, like group coaching calls, or we'll we'll assign buddies. Like we'll ask people, like, hey, do you want an accountability buddy? And people can raise their hand, and we'll pair them up with somebody. But one of the most important things that you can do is make friends with other people in the community. Because if you have a shared interest, I mean, it's like anything, right? It's like if you're if all your friends are in the bicycling club, it's a lot easier for you to be motivated to go bicycling because, oh, good, I get to see my friends. Like you might not exactly feel like biking if it's raining or something, but it's like, well, I'll get to see my buddies. And so, okay. And so you want to develop friendships. And frankly, these are extremely interesting, talented people. So these are the kind of people you want to get to know, but you're all sort of on the same path about like, oh, well, how's your podcast, RJ? Oh, my podcast is good. Let's trade some ideas, you know, or, or whatever it is. But it enables you to kind of stay on the straight and narrow because you have a community of other people who value uh, that that kind of work toward platform building as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's really extraordinary. I, I, I resonate with both of those massively, particularly the last one, I think like when you are trying to embark on any form of transformation, which this really is, uh, the power of the community to kind of remind you you're not alone, to support you into the earlier point you made when the universe is telling you or you think the universe is telling you, man, you suck. You don't. You don't. Um, one last question, Dory. Where can the audience learn more about you? Where can they go to, to to learn more about Dory Clark? Yeah, thank you so much, RJ. I appreciate it. Well, for folks who are interested in checking out the Recognize Expert course and community, you can go to doryclark.com slash rex, R-E-X. And, uh, and if folks want to check out more information about my latest book, it's called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And you can check it out and get a free self-assessment, a strategic thinking self-assessment at doryclark.com slash the long game. Thank you so much, Dory. Thanks, RJ. Take care.